Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. is William Pantana Lee. He's a chairman and CEO of Nightscope Inc. He's an American entrepreneur with over 25 years experience, has a broad and deep range of expertise. He's gained from several global assignments in the automotive sector and a number of startups. He's presently the chairman and CEO of Nightscope, which is a developer of autonomous data machines. So when he was at Ford, he held over 12 business and technical positions focused on four continents on different functional areas. And one of the one of the really neat things I saw in his bio is that after he secured two hundred and fifty million dollars internal funding, uh, he he founded and was CEO of Greenleaf, which is a Ford subsidiary that became the the world's second largest automotive recycler. So under his leadership, the company grew to over six hundred people with over twenty locations and one hundred and fifty million dollars in sales. And so at age twenty eight, Bill was the youngest senior executive at Ford which must have been an amazing experience. He went on to lead several startups, such as Model E Corporation, Built to Order Inc., and many more. And now he's leading Nightscope, um, which was founded in 2013. And they're a leader in the development of autonomous security capabilities with products such as autonomous security robots, ASRs, that provide 24-7, 365 security at hospitals, logistics uh, facilities, manufacturing plants, schools, corporations, etc., so a lot to talk about here. Welcome, Bill, to Game Changers, buddy. Hey, thanks for having us, Sergio. Greetings from Silicon Valley. Where you're in Miami? Where's the cafecito? I mean, how are we going to do this without without some caffeine? I had to hear it. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I need some more. <laughs> well, like we said, the mayor is excited to meet you. So whenever you come down here, we're going to do we're going to get you on the what he calls the cafecito chat, which is a uh, little video podcast that he has with with uh, tech companies that come to Miami. Well, we'll need to do that. We, we need to uh, reimagine public safety in Miami and happy to have a discussion with them. Well, let me tell you, it, it's an amazing opportunity. So you're, are, you are in your facility. You can see the robots moving around there. It, it's such yeah, an amazing- Keeping an eye on you. You gotta keep yeah, an eye yeah, on you. Yeah, they're keeping an eye on me, exactly. <laughs> so you know, growing up, my one of my favorite movies was RoboCop. Never heard right? of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little different, but you know, the, these vehicles that you see behind you are, are pretty amazing pieces of technology these days. So tell me a little bit about, you know, these, and then we'll get into your story as well. Sure. They're uh, a unique combination of self-driving autonomous technology. So think like a self-driving car, uh, robotics and artificial intelligence to primarily do two things. Uh, one, give the 2 million law enforcement and security professionals really smart eyes and ears and voice on the ground for them to be able to do their jobs more effectively. And then the second is a little less glamorous, uh, which is to provide a physical deterrence. Just a, just physically being there um, can stop a lot of negative behavior. No different than you driving down the highway and you see a marked police car on the side of the road. I don't care what speed you're doing. You're you slow down. Pump those brakes, right? <laughs> same effect, same effect. Well, it, it, it's pretty impressive. Um, Especially these days, where 
you know, everything is recorded. Everything is, uh, you know, there's eyes everywhere, right? And these these vehicles also provide enhanced security because of the things that that you spoke about. What other types of security products are are you guys building out there, and and how what kind of results are you seeing? Um, so we have three in production. Uh, there's a stationary one that's uh, to my left here. Um, that's at ingress egress locations where a lot of humans or a lot of vehicles are coming in and out. Um, we also have uh, um, indoor one that's also to my left. Uh, it's four foot tall, two foot wide, 340 pounds. So think of at a warehouse or inside of a hospital or something like that. And the most popular one is the one that's patrolling behind me. It's the K5. Uh, we hold contracts uh, across the country from Alaska to uh, through Texas to Rhode Island operating 24 seven, uh, 365, uh, fully autonomous. No one's remote controlling these. Um, and we've had a lot of awesome results. Uh, we've helped the law enforcement agency issue an arrest warrant for sexual predator. Uh, we helped with a domestic, uh, abuse, uh, uh case. Um, we helped the security guard apprehend a thief. Uh, and the list goes on and on. If you want to learn more, just go to nightscope.com slash crime, and you'll see the very long list of positive contributions we've already made to society. Yeah. And so for, for companies as, as a CEO of a manufacturing plant, let's say, um, I invest in one of these, it's going to save me in terms of not having to have as, you know, are these replacing a number of security guards that I wouldn't have to hire anymore? Or uh, is it just highly, an enhancement highly to the dependent, current? Yeah. Highly dependent on the client in <sighs> some cases. Um, well, first you said investment, you're actually subscribing to a service. So the hardware, the software, the charging, the maintenance, the support, Logistics setup, everything's included, all the training, uh, kind of one throw the choke, we're responsible at an effective price of $4 to $11 an hour, depending on which machine uh, you might need. Uh, so that's highly, highly cost uh, effective and uh, certainly uh, favorable versus a human guards between $15 to $35 an hour. An off-duty law enforcement officer armed uh, with a weapon is around $85 bucks an hour. So um, it can, the savings can add up dramatically, or alternatively, you can give the officer a guard that you have, um, an ability to, it's kind of a force multiplier effect to have, uh, them have the tools for them to be in multiple locations at the same time. Plus you're, you're recording, you're getting data, you're, you're getting those, you know, that, that immediate and, feedback. So if, if it's and admissible next, in court and admissible in court, admissible yes. in court. Wow. That's, that's a game changer. Um, it, does it detect a threat? So if I'm walking down and, and I have a gun in my hand, does it, does it notice that and say, okay, this guy has a gun in his hand. Let me send a signal or an alarm. So let me tell you what we have today and then what we're, what's coming. Um, so what we have today, we can detect a person, not the person. Additionally, we can detect the person. Uh, we can do elevated body temperature we can uh, read a few thousand license plates a minute. Um, we can detect any mobile device in the area. So treat this as if it's a license plate. So a good example would be um, you fired someone last week. Uh, we have half a dozen Fortune 1000 corporations as clients. It didn't go well and you're worried he's going to come back. You can blacklist uh, his face, uh, all his devices, as well as the license as the license plate. And then the machines are literally on the lookout 24-7. Uh, for those detections. And then that alert goes to the officer or the guard for them to uh, do enforcement or whatever 
uh, action they might need to uh, take. In terms of the example that you just mentioned, we, are, we have a prototype built um, that can detect someone brandishing a weapon in an area they're not supposed to. Um, so as at the end of this, uh, the use proceeds for the financing that we're doing right now is the part of it is to finish that off. Uh, so we can push that into production. That is so impressive. And, and, you know, when it comes to sexual predators, that's a really very interesting, um, thing because you're able to identify almost like ring fence, uh, a, a location, right. And if that person enters, with their yeah. phone that gets identified, it could immediately notify the police that they're within a certain range of, of children. Or, or, yeah, and, or scope out a place, right? You always watch the, wow. the TVs or, or, you know, TV or uh, movie scenes where, you know, the detective is falling asleep at the wheel, sure. parked outside for 18 hours. Like, humans don't need to be doing that. Um, I, I We're short. Honestly, it's not a topic most people want to discuss, yeah. but you can't have 2 million people. Uh, officers and guards trying to secure 300 million people across 50 states. Like the math doesn't work. And they're yeah. trying to do it with effectively the technolo technological equivalent of a number two pencil and a notepad. So if we were to actually give them the appropriate tools, then they can be a lot, lot more effective uh, in, in communities. That's incredible. And so tell, let, let's take it back then. Um, you started off you know, you got your degree and did you went to go work for Ford? Was that your yep. first uh, career move there? And then you obviously 28, you became an executive, youngest executive. Tell me about that trajectory. And what was that like? Well, I, I didn't, I didn't come from wealthy parents. So I, I tried really hard and uh, graduated a year early from Carnegie Mellon. Um, I found the auto industry fascinating because brands, finance, manufacturing, engineering all come together. And then something comes out of it that's tangible and can be emotional. Um, so it was really exciting. And so I applied I, for the internship. I, I don't know. I think I have 58 resumes out. And I had my list of all the companies I wanted to go work at. And uh, I got uh, 57 rejections uh, or no replies. And, but the number one where I wanted to work was Ford. Um, so I got actually two offers. Um, I uh, went over to Detroit and I promised myself that I would work my ass off that summer. And so they would have to hire me back. There's like no ifs, ands, or buts. Right. And it, it, it happened to, to work out. If you go on my LinkedIn profile during my time, my tenure at Ford, it looks like I'm unemployable because every six months, like I'm moving to a new job, got a promotion yeah. or a double promotion, <laughs> or it looks like I can't hold a job. Um, but I was, I was getting pretty good at fixing stuff. So the management kind of kept shuffling me around to go put out fires. Uh, and it was an awesome, awesome training ground for, for what I'm doing now. So what is it about your approach that are, are you able to identify problems pretty quickly and, and, and apply solutions to it? Has, has that been something natural or something that you learned? I don't know where I learned it from, but during my tenure at Ford, I remembered a couple of concepts. One, I was always trying to do my boss's boss's job and be like three steps ahead of everyone else. So trying to understand where the corporation's going, where the top goals are for the management, where the operating issues might be, and trying to have the answer before it's asked. Um, that's something I probably would you know, tell people might be a good idea for you to consider. The next one I would probably say don't do. I did it, but don't do. I was pretty aggressive when I was at, 
at Ford. I mean, it was the attitude was pretty much you're going to promote me today or fire me and you're going to choose every day. And I would push and push and put, I mean, a couple of times I almost got That's fired. Intense. <laughs> so, um, but it got me a ton of experience across the entire organization. Um, and, you know, certainly grateful for the opportunity there. So why were you pushing so hard? What, what, what was your goal? Uh, my last name is not Ford. So, <laughs> um, it's going to be very difficult to truly run the organization. Um, but I, I had a lot of heroes that, you know, used to work there that I looked up to when I was younger. Um, it, the, my bubble got burst once I got to the senior ranks because it wasn't like seeing them from afar. It was dealing with them every day and being in the same meetings and then realizing that you guys don't actually do any work. Um, <laughs> And you're just going from one meeting to another and no one wants to make a decision. And it is just, a, you know, bureaucracy to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got the opportunity with Greenleaf to, to start a company within a company, which also not a good idea. Um, and that gave me the entrepreneurial bug. Like you give someone that's 27 years old a quarter billion dollars. And yeah, go buy 22 companies in 11 months and you've got your own board, your own treasury, your own HR. And then after you're done with that gig, what do you want to do? Uh, I'm going to go be the vehicle line director for whatever vehicles like it's less exciting. Um, and so that's right. kind of one of the other reasons the the focus on startups. So you you have a very keen um focus on action on taking action quickly right i mean would you attribute that to be one of your kind of leadership traits and or attributes yeah i'm comfortable making decisions with you know the opposite of what a major corporation does you know typically they'll look for 80 90 95% of the information in some cases wait for 99% and then it's too late the decisions made for you i'm usually making decisions with 30% of the info, 50, 60, if it's a good day, like you, you gotta, I learned, I learned during my twenties that like at some point you got to start trusting your gut if you have enough experience and nine times out of 10, I usually write in the time that you're like, I know the piece of paper says go left. My gut says go right, but we go left and then bad stuff happens. So you stop doing that. <laughs> Right, right. So your intuition then is, has been leading you in, in, in a lot of your, your success and so forth. Um, so you went on to, 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 to grow this company into a very, very large organization. And then you, then you left there. Yep. Right. And so tell me about what happened next. Oh, geez. It was during the dot-com bubble madness. So it was, end, it was 99. Um, I got recruited by SoftBank venture capital to come out here and um, work on a, a, a crazy startup that they wanted, uh, that they had funded, but they didn't have a CEO. Um, and I had just built this company. You know, we announced it. I remember on CNBC, like we, I moved the stock a buck that day, which, which, which was kind of cool. Um, so they recruited me and then the dot-com bubble burst and, you know, that wasn't going to happen. When I met Masayoshi son from SoftBank, you know, I think he was the wealthiest person on the planet that day. He had, you know, bought 25% of Yahoo when Yahoo was, you know, everything. And um, 
and then the capital kind of dried up. Um, and then 9-11 occurred. Um, and wow. that's pretty much what, you know, has driven me the rest of my life is, you know, someone hit my, I was born in New York City. Uh, someone hit my town on 9-11 and I'm still really, really pissed off about it. So the rest of my life, I'm dedicating to better securing our country. And that's the big motivating factor to do slightly irrational, um, sometimes crazy things to force an outcome to happen. Um, because, you know, crime has a trillion dollar negative economic impact on the U.S. every single year. It's a hidden tax we all pay in blood, tears and treasure. The country's over 200 years old. We're in our 46th president. Like, is someone going to come around and like fix this problem or not? And the answer is or not. Um, so we've taken this really tall order and said, okay, well, we're going to see if we can make the U.S. the safest country in the world. Um, and people think I'm kidding around. And after eight years now, they're realizing like, I'm not kidding around. Like we're going to do this. And so, I mean, it, that's, that is an amazing, um, purpose, right? And without purpose, we're, we're nothing, right? I think the yep. purpose is what drives us when, when you believe in something that you're very, very passionate about. Uh, and you clearly are about about security. It's but it's a tall order, right? I mean, we're we're talking about you know securing the U.S. and and uh, you know with everything that goes on. But, but Sergio, but when in yeah. this country did we change our demeanor where we're not going to go work on the hard things, the Correct. difficult, Correct. the impossible yeah. things? That yeah. is pure Americana. And yeah. unfortunately, you know, a part of the the country has, has forgotten that that's, you know, we, sh we're not the people to take the shortcut, right? We're the people to go do the big things. And it's time that we get back on our, uh, back, back our footing and, and do exactly that. And, yeah, exactly. And that, and that's correct. It's taken on these problems that are much bigger than ourselves that we don't think we can solve, but you know, like you said, by taking action and, and you're able, what's great about these things, these, these, these vehicles is that, it's scalable, right? It's just a, a matter of manufacturing production. And if you have one of these on every street corner, the tide will start to change, you know, yeah. over time, right? Like you said. I think one that one way to think about it, Sergio, that the audience might be easier acclimated to would be like you would never build a building today without a smoke detector, right? It would be probably from a compliance standpoint, you wouldn't get the license to to even operate or what have you. But it's the same thing. At some point in time, right, you're, the cost-benefit analysis and the risk and the uh, uh, inability to secure a location, you hits that point where you have to do this as opposed to, oh, that's cute or that's interesting or that's optional, right? Um, and now that we've proven that the technology works, you know, the conversation becomes a lot easier. It was a lot harder back, you know, in 2013 when we started and everyone was like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> it's not going to yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it takes it takes a while for the technology to catch up to make it, you know, scalable, affordable and 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 to that point. Yep. And you're right. Every every location, every city, every, you know, uh, major corporation needs security and and needs to be a smarter form of security, more dynamic, going to, you know, recording things very clearly. And uh and I think you guys are I mean amazingly going down the right path. So what is the future, you know, 10, 20 years from now, where, where do you see Nightscope and or the industry going in terms of enhanced security? Well, I've got at least three decades worth of workload in my head uh, in order to achieve the mission. Um, we've got a daunting uh, task ahead of us. You're, 
end up building a very wide, broad portfolio of technologies that's also very deep um, because, you know, crime doesn't care. Terrorists don't care. Is it public sector? Is it private sector? Is it a casino? Is it a school or movie theater or whatever? It's it's everywhere. It's pervasive. So you got to kind of think through every scenario. Um, and I think we've got an opportunity to build um, a $30 billion company that's the analogous to a defense contractor, right? You've got Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Boeing that build a soldier, anything he or she might ever need. Uh, and at the Department of Defense, there's one person in charge with a $700 billion budget and off you go. And there's a massive amount of technological innovation for the two plus million soldiers out there, right? Which is fine. What I have a problem with on our own soil, there's a million security guards and a million law enforcement professionals that get up every morning and are willing to take a bullet for you and your family. And the level of technology that we provide to them as a country is beneath the dignity of this nation. And the problem is that the Department of Homeland Security and Department of Justice have no federal jurisdiction over 19,000 law enforcement agencies and 8,000 private security firms. There's literally no one in charge, right? Um so your mayor, the uh, your 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 friend there in, in Miami, you know, there's the Miami Police Department, there's the Florida State Patrol, there's the Coral Gables Police Department, there's the every little department with all right. their own little budgets, but there's no one in charge of innovation, there's no technological roadmap, there's no risk capital, there's no process, there's no one in charge. I mean, it's a freaking mess. And somebody's gonna fix it. So we're going to attempt to fix it. So how would you go about doing that when governments are underfunded? There's this whole movement to defund the police and so forth. Obviously, funding seem, seems to be at the heart of this, right? Do we... So what's kind the of th there? Three, three simple strategies. First, get thousands of uh, investors to back the company. So we're actually backed by 22,000 investors uh, from all walks of life, from judges to, and lawyers to bankers and recruiters to chief security officers, NYPD detectives, FBI, CIA, DHS, bus drivers. I mean, um, pretty much everyone's in, involved. And you're going to need that kind of movement and uh, support across the country if you want to change the country's um, approach to this. So one is get some serious backing. And I'm talking volume here. Um, second, you know, get this deployed as many locations as possible. So we're operating across, uh, the country now and, you know, it's early days, but you know, we're in casinos and, and law enforcement agencies and hospitals and the like, and get people to use them. Um, and then, you know, hire brilliant people to continue to innovate and, and build all this technology. But the proof's in the pudding is basically, is it effective or not? Did you cut crime? Yes or no? And when you start realizing that, oh, this stuff actually works and all the problems that I used to have are starting to go away, like the, 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 the funding for the machines ends up taking care of itself. Right, right. Now, have you, um, and maybe you don't, you're not the liberty to talk about it, are there uh, U.S. kind of military applications here as, as well, right? Um, uh, Broadly speaking, there's, you know, federal government opportunities. Um, and yes, sure, the military, uh, not on a battlefield, but think of the military police around an Air Force base, right? Sure. Or securing a, a warehouse or something like that, of course. 
but it's much broader than that. Just, just let your mind wander. Like, hey, I, who secures all the federal courthouses? Hey, who secures the data centers? How about the national monuments and the national parks? How mm-hmm. about the rail system? Hey, who secures all the airports? Um, I wonder who secures NASA. Like you start going through the list. It's just on and on and, and it's on. Just on and on. All yeah. the high value targets. How about the national laboratories? I mean, you're just going through the whole infrastructure and every agency. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities. And so are you guys taking to the air as well? Or is that something in the future that you guys are planning on in terms of like drone uh, security or things like that? Uh, in my opinion, drones for what we're doing for our use case are not ready for prime time. They will be in maybe five or 10 years, but they today people are working on this, but today they can't consistently autonomously recharge, right? They can stay in the air for five to 20 minutes and then you're dead, right? Um, they can carry very little sensor payload, you know, maybe a camera or, or a thermal camera or something like that. You can't put much more on there. So then on top of that, you can process you know, very little compute on the, on the drone itself. Sometimes you have data communication, data transfer issues. And in most cases, it's not legal to fly. So other than that, it's all good to right. know. <laughs> um, but at, at some point in time, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly be looking at adding that. So, uh, you know, this is fantastic. I think you guys have a, an amazing operation and, and hopefully you guys will come out, you know, to Miami and visit us here one day. Um, tell me, as we start wrapping this up, I always ask my guests, was was there a game-changing moment in your life or something that that triggered the way you think, that, that approach that you take to everything that was, you know, you can look back and say, yep, yeah, you know, ever since that point, my career, my thinking, the way I, I approach things, that really changed the trajectory of my life. Oh, it's, um, it's going to be an odd answer, I think. Uh, it was a regulatory change. Um, oh, really? so, yeah. So back in 2012, the, the administration uh, and Congress uh, changed the rules on how you can raise capital. Um, so uh, we founded the company in 2013. We're here in Silicon Valley. You know, $130 billion goes into startups every year. Um, you would think it'd be easy to finance this, right? Uh, no. Hey, Bill, you're out of your mind. This will never work. Um, it's hardware and it's software. It's too complicated. You need to pick one. And physical security is not an investment thesis. You need to go away, right? So if uh, you know the establishment tells you we're not going to finance this, and you still know that it's the right thing to do for the country, you're going to figure out how to force it. Um, so the regulatory change was basically to allow a private company to do a public offering and remain private. Um, so that's how we've been able to raise capital from uh, all over the world um, and, and still remain a, a private entity. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about a pu- possible public listing in the future, but um, and be able to raise, you know, capital from 22,000 investors. Um, that was the game changer. And I think as founders uh, and entrepreneurs start realizing that, uh, you know, going to beg a, a, a VC for money that he or she may, he usually doesn't have sector expertise in your area because, you know, 80 plus percent of it goes into software, a little bit goes into biotech and then the rest into other um, it's not necessarily capital that you want to be paying a premium for. There's a time and place, 
right? If you're working on a social media app, please, by all means, you know, go find the social media VC. But that's not how the world works. And, you know, very, you know, less than 1% of companies get funding from a VC. Um, and it's also can be very toxic capital if you're not careful in what you're doing. Um, so the game changer was, hey, uh, there's a new regulatory framework for us to be able to raise capital uh, from people that care and or long term uh, investors. So uh, I think that changed the trajectory of what I had been doing. I mean, I've been backed by a major corporation. I've been backed by a VC. I've been through this process, but we've now raised over $70 million uh, to, to build all the technology behind me from scratch. Um, and I get, unfortunately, I'll say I, I've done more financial engineering than actual engineering, which is not <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. Uh, but you know, there's there's a new way to to raise capital, and as as entrepreneurs start understanding that, they'll realize that they have to ask themselves that important question when you start a company. Um, not just product market fit. Product market fit is capital to company fit. Do I have the right kind of capital for what I'm trying to do? Mm-hmm. Well, when, when opportunity meets preparedness, right? I mean, that, <laughs> that, that's the key. Well, Bill, it's been great having you on the show, my friend, chairman and CEO of Nightscope. They're doing some amazing things in the autonomous security world. Definitely check them out. Uh, where, where can they go to, to, to learn more? Just go to nightscope.com and uh, it's all there for you and uh, appreciate everyone taking a look. After what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable, so I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it. You may end up being the game changer in their lives.